This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. This panel will dive into Mexico's unique value proposition, emerging opportunities and challenges in the auto industry. And Carlos Jaramillo will moderate uh, this panel discussion. Carlos is a CEO and partner at Via Capital and the current president of the board at the Tijuana EDC. Carlos has over 20 years of experience in industrial real estate development, international business development, and foreign direct investment attraction strategies, also in sustainable construction, as well as industrial development. With that, Carlos. Thank you, Dr. Shin. Uh, for the introduction, and also to the ISEI for this important event of today. Um, in this panel, uh, we will discuss the opportunities and the role that Mexico is playing in the supply chain integration for the automotive industry. And firstly, I would like to introduce my colleagues uh, that are joining us today and who will participate in this panel. Firstly, Ruben Lopez. Ruben, how are you? Ruben is the Director for Materials, Supply Chain, and Information Systems for Toyota Motor Manufacturing de Baja California, which produces the Tacoma trucks. He has more than 17 years uh, experience within Toyota, and uh, he has managed uh, several uh, company divisions, including human resources, purchasing, production control, project management, and quality control. Thank you, Ruben. Uh, then we have Javier Valadez. Uh, Javier, how are you? He is the Director of Operations for Kenworth Mexicana. Javier uh, heads the area of foreign trade, customs, regulatory issues, and government relations. He's an active member of the think tank Comexi, who, who is focused in international affairs and appointed as a member for the private sector advisors group for the Mexican government in international relation policies. Thank you again, Javier. And lastly... Alejandro. Alejandro, ¿cómo estás? Alejandro is the president and managing partner of Grupo Provenza, who has directly overseen uh, more than 100 operations projects that have arrived since 2006. Uh, he has worked as the principal manager for the Electric Mexico and has collaborated on production planning for Fiat, Ford, Volkswagen, and Daimler Chrysler. Thank you, Alejandro, for being with us. Thank you. Now, um, we will focus uh, in briefly discussing uh, areas of opportunity in the supply chain and Mexico in three major areas. One is the UMCA and the opportunities it provides. Second, emerging business opportunities in the integration of new technology within the supply chain. And lastly, the actual supply chain for the automakers and the opportunities with this changing environment we're facing. So let's start with Javier. Javier, um, obviously taking advantage of your expertise uh, in foreign trade, where do you see, or taking into account the USMCA criteria, what areas you consider relevant where Mexico can take advantage to further integrate in the industry? Thank you, Carlos. And I would start by saying back in 1994, where the original NAFTA was signed, cars and trucks were only mechanical units. 
and they were counted only as mechanical units amongst these parts. Nowadays, 20-something years later, uh, we see that there is the need to update the regulation and the regulatory framework because now cars have a lot of software development. They have applications going on. So now this has a value that has to be accounted for within the threshold of the total value of the vehicle, car or trucks. So with this in mind, you can see clearly on USMZ that now there is a 10% threshold for R&D and IT developments for the auto, automotive industry. So that has to be um, credited for, for all the companies in order to be able to have these free trade benefits. So with this in mind, you see that there are four big trends in mobility. I would say one is diverse mobility. We're just discussing about bikes, trucks, uh, scooters, any sort of mobility. Autonomous driving, that's here. Uh, electrification, that's been long uh, discussed. And finally, connectivity. So with most of these elements in mind, you need to have the right uh, point of contact with it, within those units to smart cities, to regulations, to the owner of the fleets, to the OEMs, to process that information and use it either for owners of fleets, thinking on trucks, or for users or drivers of cars in, in this case. So with this in mind, I think there's a strong opportunity for small and medium enterprises to add value by developing such programs or softwares and to integrate them in this inter intelligent cars. Because now the Internet of Things has become a reality in cars. Now when you're uh, riding a car, we were just seeing some images in the past presentations, you can use your time for something else as well, or you can use your time wisely. So now uh, there's this opportunity, for example, for the Baja California cluster on IT, or for example, for the Guadalajara part of Mexico in, in the state of Jalisco to foster these developments and get the, uh, uh, the engineers and the software development guys thinking on how to add value to the supply chain and how to get more out of cars. Also, this is uh, a reality. Uh, Nearshoring is mainly, um, let's say, leverage on the uh, supply side, on the physical material supply side of it. But now maybe offshoring or nearshoring can be something interesting for this software development within the, own, the, the North American region. So we can see some strong opportunities in Canada, in Montreal and Vancouver area, uh, strong opportunities as well in the Seattle, Silicon Valley area in the United States, and likewise in Mexico, in Baja California, Jalisco. So I would say this is a part that I would say that's going to boost within the next 10 years. And that's been uh, something that uh, small and medium enterprises can focus on. And we will see a lot of mergers and acquisitions within the next uh, couple of years. Thank you, Javier. Alejandro, Ruben, any comments? Thank you, uh, Javier. Thank you, Carlos, for inviting. Um, yeah, supporting Javier's comments, 
It is, it is a, a lot of options in the near future. And definitely here, our region has uh, a very good opportunity to develop uh, those, first, the uh, skills, the knowledge uh, to be competitive company countrywide and also regional-wide, including U.S., uh, exploring your talents as a, such as IT development, definitely vehicles and infrastructure in the future will require a lot of interconnectivity. And from there, infrastructure will be uh, uh, very important as well. So thank you, Javier. Yeah, if I may, uh, if I may add to, to Javier comments, I, I believe that, you know, everything that is behind USMCA and the new, the new regulations associated with it, it has uh, changed dramatically in, uh, when it used to be NAFTA. It's not an upgrade of NAFTA, it's a completely different Really, and, and I think it's it's uh, pretty relevant for the region, and it's going to be providing a lot of uh, certainty and a lot of uh, it's going to make it more reliable, you know. So future investments and talking about nearshoring again, it makes it. We need to think about this as a region, and that's where the key is uh, uh, for all of us here, you know, to identify some of those potential uh, opportunities that we can find, and of course make it sustainable based on these uh, new regulations that we see on the USMCA, which is fairly new. And I, I think a, a, an interesting topic will be to be more knowledgeable for all of us here uh, about it, because uh, we can really get a lot of benefits out of it. Thank you, Alejandro. So uh, with this uh, first question, we, we touched on the opportunity from the USMCA and how software uh, now plays a role within the integration of, of a product. Now let's go to the technology side. Uh, new technologies, emerging technologies uh, are coming into play. We have a, an industry that is changing. Alejandro, and, and on, this, on, on this aspect of technology, uh, besides what we discussed uh, with the UNCA, which creates a market, but now the technology uh, driver, using the driver of technology, where do you see business opportunities emerging? And for what type of companies uh, you think about? Well, this is this is uh, this is a, a, a game that is continually changing, Carlos. First of all, I mean, when we talk about new technology, uh, we need to consider that nearly uh, half of the total cost of a vehicle, and I'm talking about a, a, a user, a light vehicle, okay, is going to be around fifty percent of the cost associated to uh what we can call a microprocessor you know electronic stuff it's not longer going to be uh, a mechanical stuff so we see an increased amount of value associated with every vehicle uh, that requires components that more likely are coming from overseas to the region i truly believe and we were hearing about the complexity of new uh you know we're talking about some commodities here where we are seeing the the uh sense of urgency to create some opportunities somewhere else. We need to make sure that we take advantage of some of those specific requirements that we see on the industry today, because those technologies requires stuff that is not being made in the region or is partially being made on the region. It might be designed here, but we are dependent on what is happening somewhere else. So everybody here probably have seen uh, the complexity around microprocessors and what it's the uh, work, uh, you know, suffering around that. And we need to understand that because of, we cannot spend time discussing about why 
things are being made somewhere else. We need to take advantage of the opportunities here. And I truly think that companies that are focusing themselves in the application of those new technologies and how those are going to be accessible in the new vehicles, the supply chain associated to the creation of those things is partially here. Companies that made the final integration are already here in the region. The opportunities that we found is not on the so-called tier ones companies, is more likely going to be associated on those tier two companies, the ones that provide components that go inside what you see on a dashboard of a vehicle. It's so nicely done. And those final integrators are already here, but what it, everything that is inside is basically coming somewhere else in the world. It's not being made on the region. So to that specific point, those are massive investments. Trust me. I mean, those are massive amounts of money that have to be invested. But I think USMCA brings the opportunity of providing that uh, reliability on the region. And of course, all of us, we need to think about this as a region, not only as Mexico or the US or Canada. Together, we have the market. Together, we have the need. And what we have and what we are facing right now is that every single company is suffering right now with the excessive cost of transportation, the lack of, uh, let me say, reliability on, on suppliers that are on the other side of the world. And that's where I, I see a lot of opportunities for companies relocating to the region, finding the people here, finding the, you know, the right talent is never going to be an issue. Finding where to go is not going to be an issue. The issue is just to promote that those companies see the opportunity that we have as a region using USMCA as the key to help them to find that legal framework to do the final investment. Great comments, Alejandro. Thank you very much. Ruben, Javier, would you like to add something to... Yes, thank you, Alejandro. Thank you, Alejandro, Carlos. Fully agree. Um, the opportunity is going to be on the tier tools or the components, the raw material creation, and how close can we get them to, to the uh, final, in this case, assembler or the final user. And that shortage of the supply chain can also improve the cost. So thank you, good, very good uh, comments, Alejandro. Um, and on my side, building on, on Alejandro's uh, really uh, pinpoint comments was great. I think we can leverage technology as well because it's not only about us as an industry developing technology, but it may be us as an industry leveraging existing technology such as the one that already exists on the IT side of it. We are seeing a lot of uh, crowdsourcing and, and, and a lot of uh, things moving around those schemes and automotive industry is not a, an outlier. So we are now seeing similarities, for example, more within cities. You might think of New York City, Chicago, Mexico City, and Rio de Janeiro, more similar as the mobility needed between, I don't know, maybe uh, let's say Miami and uh, San Francisco areas. So as we are now starting to see these trends and similarities, we can actually leverage uh, technology and, and use it in our favor. As an example, uh, the sense or the um, 
consensus of ownership has changed within the past five years a lot. Now people is starting to hesitate whether buying a car is uh, attractive enough. Is it uh, a good investment for them? So now what we see is how do we OEMs can jump into those tendencies and get the most and offer the most to the uh, to the users. So um, definitely, I think there will be a big merge between IT and automotive industry as we were just building on it. And uh, we'll see much more similarities within cities than with complete regions because, uh, as we were saying, perhaps uh, Monterrey and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania are more similar than Monterrey and Mexico City. Great comments. Thank you all. Now, Ruben, you, you are every day very involved in the supply chain for Toyota. Um, you can, uh, and we will, I would like you to share with us uh, your impression of the gaps and opportunities within the supply chain. What gaps do we have in it? And what areas of opportunity we have? And now with the market uh, changing and with this new technologies coming in, where do you see the supply chain going? <laughs> Thank you, Carlos. Big question, huh? <laughs> yeah, good. So in order to set maybe current condition, we need to look back into 2020 before the pandemic hit a global impact. So just to set the, the context of, of current condition. In supply chain, there's always been some disruption, right? Uh, some weather conditions, natural disasters such as maybe earthquakes, tsunamis. Uh, we face uh, some trade changes between markets uh, that might create some disruption. But in this case, for 2020, was global. Everything halted with the pandemic. And then trying to restart, um, we've, we're facing different conditions, maybe that not only the pandemic brought, such as the Pacific Coast ports saturation, the uh, sea, the, uh, sea containers uh that are shortage. Then we have this weather crisis in Texas when we have uh, below zero temperatures that we've never uh, faced before and that created some raw materials, specifically petrochemicals issues. And then from there, we're seeing more and more kind of uh, different situations that are bring, putting us to rethink how we do business. So for Toyotas, we, as we might know, we uh, follow the uh, lean, supply chain, the just-in-time, in other words, as, as less as possible, as minimum as possible, shortage as possible, that philosophy. And Toyota has learned from the past in 2011 with the uh, tsunami, uh, earthquake and tsunami that we lost, we were uh, impacted at the time. We learned to have very close communication and management with our suppliers. So Right now, going back to your question, Carlos, on the opportunities, I'm not going to just talk about those technological or software or things, batteries of the future, but how to remain on the market, how to be a strong uh, contender or competitor to get, to get those new opportunities that the future will bring. So learning from this condition on COVID and for example, the microchip uh, right now, the microchip crisis, the auto make the auto industry is facing. Uh, there is a increase on the demand such as Patrick Kelly was mentioning right uh, minutes uh, ago in his uh, uh, talk 
demand is increasing a lot on the microchip. Many components, not only in the auto industry, but in the general uh, living are demanding more micro components. From there is a shortage and the shortage comes from the raw materials. So as you might have read in the news, every automaker is being impacted. However, Toyota is one of the companies that has less impact due to this uh, micro component crisis. And the key or the difference is how we manage our supply chain and that relation that we have with our suppliers. So for those new, uh, the, one of the opportunities to create this mindset of being a reliable supplier that really can work hand to hand and uh, with a long-term vision with a customer. In, the, in this case, let's say the auto, make, the auto industry, right? So if we both look at us as a, we both need each other, actually we companies, big companies need more suppliers than they need us, can we, how to support each other, how to create a very good um, close communication and management of the complete supply chain from the final product, let's say a vehicle to the raw material. In this case, it's maybe all the way to the minery we we're discussing uh, recently on, on batteries, right? The cobalt, lithium, et cetera. So in that way, if we can engage into managing um, and have a very good, system and process to manage the supply chain from all the tiers, then we can have a very reliable and cost-effective uh, opportunity. And that I think this region has. This region in Tijuana, San Diego, um, has been proven to be very effective in uh, developing technologies. Remember the TV cluster back in the 90s, 2000, Tijuana producing over 80% of worldwide uh, TVs before flat screens. So there is knowledge, there is talent as well. So with that being said, uh, and we have good, good universities, both sides of the, of the border, uh, experience, I said te technical, both. So for the future and the automate, we don't know exactly where it's going. Uh, it's, it's now a very short site. In the past, there's an engine and maybe trucks getting a little bit bigger. But now it's not only electrification because we might face a crisis of batteries as it was described in the previous uh, discussion from us. So what alternatives are, are, are coming? Many of them. It's not only what is gonna drive the vehicle, the gasoline, hybrid, uh, Toyota is also looking at the hy uh, hydrogen cell, not a lot of reliability on the batteries, also electrification. So within that broad, uh, uh, scenario and also moving from a vehicle car manufacturing company to a mobility company. Well, it, it opens up, right? What is mobility? It, mobility is not only a vehicle that can move through the road or fly. No, no, no. Mobility is having how, how to move things and humans and everything. So different aspects. So what is there? Um, creativity to find new ways quick reaction which means flexibility and agility. I think those two is gonna, is gonna be key to develop a better supply chain and opportunities here locally. How fast can I adapt? How quickly can I move and, and, and uh, supply what the demand is? is, is how, what skills do I have that can I offer? Uh, 
And within all that, um, then it comes to in the integration, right? So I think uh, it is the, the, the future is very promising. It's many opportunities. We need to keep our eyes very open to what the demand is telling us. And demand is varying, fluctuating, uh, reacting very quickly. And whoever is going to, similar to Darwin, whoever is uh, capable to adapt the best, maybe that's the one that's gonna, that's gonna uh, can remain. So going back to your question, Carlos, I think the challenge overall is how to, to remain, how to be a strong competitor, a strong uh, opportunity, a strong, uh, oppor uh, a strong uh, yeah, competitor, how to become an option, a strong option for that emerging markets that it not only is gonna be the battery for the vehicle, it's gonna be all the infrastructure, as I was saying, Imagine the roads. The roads now need to have different different uh, signals, different lighting, different so autonomous vehicles or electrified vehicles can have can be reliable and can be uh, keep on the road similar to gasoline. So I think it's a very very broad uh, future for us. So key will be agile, agile, flexibility, and quick action to adapt to the market. Thank you. I don't know if I no, mentioned no. it. Um, just to just to add to your comments, we under the 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 under the economic development umbrella, we're seeing two very important things. One is the shift from looking at the automotive industry to a mobility industry. It's it's a total shift in how we see the industry. And the second, and uh, you may agree, Ruben is. This the tier ones now uh, going from being a production line automaker to a modular manufacturer, where also that brings in a different aspect to the supply chain. Now, uh, instead of receiving parts, now you're going to be receiving modules that are going to be connecting in this new vehicle. So that gives you also a different aspect in how things are going to be made and what type of suppliers and integrators. And I like I want to add the integration provider to what Alejandro mentioned, because Alejandro touched on the topic of integrators. I think there, uh, with components coming from Asia, there's a big opportunity to have integrators that are already in the market uh, that will be participating in the industry. So I would just want to finish the last five minutes talking about again reinforcing this perspective from the tier ones going to modular manufacturing and having integrators in mexico that will be supplying tier ones within this new scope of manufacturing thank you carlos and as you say central mexico is now the cluster for automotive industry and they are experiencing what you're saying. So yeah, another big opportunity here in the region is modularity, provide bigger uh, commodities or larger commodities. And with that, also the supplies get, uh, supply chain gets an additional challenge. Thanks, Colin. Thank you. And we have five minutes. So let's go through to our panelists for final remarks. If, if uh, Javier, Ruben, Alejandro want to uh, end up with a remark. Sure. Um, thank you, Carlos. I think as Ruben was mentioning, nowadays with uh, such an uncertain uh, overview of the, our supply chain, even availability 
it's a differentiator. So um, I think the key fact for us right now is visibility within our own supply chain so that we can diminish this bullwhip effect along our whole supply chain. So the more reliable it is, the more transparent it is, the more agile we can be. So that'll be my remark. Thank you. Thank you, Harvey. Uh, and uh, I think that just uh, I wanted to connect the dots here because, you know, I guess that uh, auto industry has been always the, the uh, lead when it comes into supply chain, you know, and getting all those uh, from a, a basic outage, you know, to all the systems that nowadays are full of technology to oversee what uh, the, the, how the suppliers are behaving. But I think that business continuity is going to be a challenge that we need to keep in mind, uh, every, I mean, in every single piece of the supply chain. Because business continuity now, not to say what happened last year with the pandemic, but you know, also we need to understand that social impacts can be interrupting, interrupting the supply chain. We can find issues associated with you know, social disruption, yeah, issues that might be related to the very local rules, very, very local activities happening wherever your supplier is located. So you need to add into those risk mitigation plans that every company will have. You need to start adding who are the stakeholders are there. You need to understand how to solve some of those situations that at some point in time can jeopardize the supply chain that is going to have an, a, a very hard impact. It can be similar to what we have seen with a shortage of uh, any other component, but even regulations associated with the USMCA is something that every, everyone needs to keep in mind. It's, it has a lot of things good, but also it, lead, it needs a lot of compliance. And not really the compliance is not always going to be something that is as easy as included as an audit. You need to make sure that your suppliers are actually engaged with the community, are actually engaged in, uh, into the identification of those stakeholders that can make it successful or it can be a potential harm for the continuity of their business. Thank you, Alejandro. Thank and you. Okay. For, on, my, on my side, to close, uh, same, um, the challenge for the future will demand us to be agile, agile to move to swift, to shift as the demand is requesting, requiring us. Uh, very close example is how let's social net social media so, uh, years ago there was no TikTok no YouTube see in a few years how this has transformed into a very big industry Tesla for example a few years ago uh, stock market compared to today's stock market stock price so that requires to be agile and flexible to adapt but as, at the same point you need to keep we need to keep a very close win-win, uh, a very close long-term relationship with our suppliers. So we can be aware, um, we can be very well communicated and react on time and close together. That will give us advantage and um, will secure, as Alejandro was saying, continuity on uh, our process. So create strong process with suppliers, agile, agile and flexibly on your manufacturing and your business. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And we will leave it uh, at this point. Uh, I'm sure we will have other opportunities to further expand uh, the topics that were discussed today. Uh, Javier, Ruben, Alejandro, thank you very much uh, for taking the time 
and sharing your experience and expertise with us. Great to hear all those uh, terminologies and the stuff that we even discussed in class about the bullet effect, about the agility. So even in this automotive industry, uh, still those apply. And it's what, what an insightful discussion. So uh, before we move on to the last panel discussion, I would like to share the, our poll results. Uh, if you see, first of all, what is the biggest thing holding back uh, from owning an EV? Uh, number one reason was lack of charging infrastructure, although it has been quite increased, still it's number one reason. The follow-ups will be high cost and low driving range, right? That was about EVs uh, adoption hurdle. Next one is about AVs, autonomous vehicles adoption hurdle. Uh, the number one reason was uh, the, the reliability and the technology. Technology may only work in certain environment as well as the high price. And there were a few other follow-ups such as liability and safety regulations. And surprisingly also uh, about 14% said, uh, I desire to uh, own an AV as well. Now, the last question was an interesting one. If the technology were mature and and, and you would choose between a fully autonomous vehicle with no control, no steering wheel and no pedals, or with one with the ability to take over control for the same cost. Majority, over 90% of, of the participants said, I still prefer with the autonomous uh, vehicle, I still prefer to have the control, okay? With that, uh, we will move on to our last panel discussion about autonomous technology and business roadmap. In this panel, we will talk about the future of transportation enabled by intelligent roads, autonomous vehicles from urban air mobility to space economy. And Jono Anderson uh, will moderate this panel discussion. Jono is a partner at KPMG, uh, in particular in innovation and growth strategy in industrial manufacturing covering autonomous and aerospace. He focused on helping companies with market and innovation strategy to drive business growth in core and adjacent markets. Jono also works closely with auto, aero, defense, and transportation clients to find ways to grow and disrupt markets and understand the impact and timing of complex technologies and make the appropriate R&D investments. He also focused on navigating the clock speed dilemma to develop autonomous cars, drones, urban air mobility and planes, mobility as a service, artificial intelligence and deep learning, connected everything and IoT, as well as electric vehicles. With that, Jono. Today in this panel, we're gonna talk about um, autonomous technologies and how they continue to evolve um, improving safety and the availability of transportation for all. Um, on this panel, we're going to focus on the current state of those autonomous technologies and how the business roadmap is moving towards commercialization. Um, the future of autonomous transportation includes a lot of different aspects in the ecosystem. Uh, that includes vehicles, the communications, the sensors, uh, the fusion of those information and the artificial intelligence to interpret them and the infrastructure and the roads and the ecosystem around the cities. Um, there's a lot of different technologies to advance and this includes kind of how we shift from our current infrastructure to a future enabled by intelligent roads and smart cities. Um, to help us think through that change, we have Jamie Waidu from the Chief Technology Officer and co-founder of Cavenu here joining us. Uh, Jamie brings a wealth of knowledge and experience from 
Apple and Waymo and NASA to this discussion. Um, it also includes autonomous vehicles of all types and the way we interact with them in the real world and work side by side with them, uh, with humans alongside of robots and, and vehicles and, and other things. And to help us think through those changes, we have Dr. Heinrich Christensen here, our distinguished professor of computer science and engineering and the director of UCSD's Contextual Robotics Institute. Uh, Professor Christensen is also the co-founder of Robust AI and strategic advisor for RoboGlobo, the Global Robotics and Automation Index Fund. Um, welcome. Um, and it also includes the future of logistics enabled by autonomous trucks that simultaneously improve safety and increase the speed of our supply chains that we just have been hearing so much about. We have Chen Chu, the chief of staff to the chief technology officer at Too Simple, our newest public company in San Diego. Welcome. Join, join, join us, everybody. Uh, yep. Thank we, you. Uh, welcome. Our three great, wonderful thought leaders and business visionaries. Um, and we'll talk about this for the next hour. Um, with that, um, maybe what we'll do first is let's go around, uh, kind of do a quick round the horn and have each of you share your thoughts on what you view to be kind of the promise of autonomy. And maybe we'll start with, with Jamie. Yeah, thank you, Jono. Um, you know, I've spent the last nine years of my career working on autonomous vehicles. Um, and the thing that I think gets talked about a lot is the safety promise of autonomous vehicles. Um, and there's statistics that are very real about, you know, um, 46,000 people died in traffic-related accidents in the United States last year. 94% um, of that um, is human error related. Um, and it's the equivalent of a 737 airplane dropping out of the sky uh, five days a week, every day of the year. Uh, so like, there's a lot that autonomy does when it's never drunk, it's never distracted. Um, it can see in 360 degrees that I think is, is truly uh, revolutionary and will really change the world um, for the better. Um, I also think that um, it gives everybody an access to mobility. Um, and very personally, um, I've watched my dad uh, in rural Montana who has Parkinson's disease. Um, and so he's going from a world where the only way to get to people um, and connect with family and friends uh, to get to the store to buy um, groceries to go to the doctor um, is to drive. And when you live in rural Montana, you don't just call an Uber to come pick you up. Um, so getting autonomous vehicles has become a, a personal passion of mine to make sure that he can actually have access to everything he needs access to as his mobility is declining through the onset of Parkinson's disease. Um, and so for me, very, very personally, I think autonomy is truly about giving people access to mobility. That's a fundamental human need within this country. Um, and I think that autonomy is really the way to do it. Fantastic. Yeah. And we're, I, I like to say we're all bad drivers. <laughs> and we are. The, longer we're, the longer we're mobile, the longer we live. So That's it's really, right. uh, really fantastic, Jamie. Uh, Heinrich, over to you. How about you? So, well, so I, I very much agree with sort of Jamie's consideration. So and just to give you an example, we, we're doing studies at UCSD 
and where we sort of looking at aging drivers and how they're getting impacted. So Linda Hill as is working with AAA to try and understand this. One of her drivers takes 51 pills a day. And that person is still on the road. I'm just telling you, this is, whew, you know, uh, scary. So, so, so there's some real opportunity. There's some real worries there. But also, I think thinking about, I think we are standing in front of a paradigm shift in terms of how we do transportation. I'm so used to driving my own car. I have my own statistics for how often I drive. I have a really nice car. I drive it less than two percent of the time. I'm also an investment banker. This is a shitty investment, you know. And I'm like, wow, why am I doing this? So, so I think we're in front of a paradigm where we also see younger people that are like, why would I want to buy a car? This is possibly the worst possible investment you can make in your life. So I think we will see this. At the same time, we're seeing growth in 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 logistics. So during uh, the pandemic, we saw a tremendous growth in, in e-commerce, getting deliveries. You know, people don't go to the grocery store anymore. You get it delivered to, to your front. Even before the pandemic, we saw 40% year-over-year growth in logistics from Amazon, Walmart, and these companies. This is not going to go away. But what if I could do these deliveries at night? So, you know, right now when I drive on I-5 and basically sit on a parking lot for an hour, what if I could take some of that transportation out and do load distribution? It would completely change it. But it's not only cars. I feel we focus so much on what if I could get my car. It's trucks, like we will hear from Too Simple. But it's also things like every morning I go running and I see this guy that goes around and resets Lyft and Uber scooters. What if I could make them autonomous? So they automatically drove back to a, a recharge station. Instead of having people running around lifting trucks on, on this, and it's like, this seems utterly stupid that, that we are doing, we are serving the scooters rather than the other way around. So I, so I think with autonomy, a lot of this will go away. I think there's so many things we will see in terms of doing load distribution, in terms of this. I see the autonomous vehicles being the new electricity in terms of it's the new infrastructure that enables us to do a lot of things that we never thought about doing before. So it will fundamentally think how we, how we think about this. I would still claim we are pre-paradigmatic. People are making ludicrous promises. We will get level five cars or we'll get autonomous taxis. Good luck. You know, so, 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 so I think it, it's a natural evolution. It's got to be very exciting, but it's still early days. Thanks so much, Heinrich. Um, Jen, how about yourself? Yeah, well, um, I'll have to say that I, I couldn't agree more, actually, uh, because uh, as Too Simple, we are laser focused on level four autonomous driving for trucks specifically. So I'll probably just uh, use that as an example. Uh, I think right now, really, if you're if you're looking around, um, everything um, is involved with logistics. Uh, your your laptop probably was shipped from like um, San Francisco. And let's say the hamburger that I'm just seeing right now, probably that was shipped from um, Texas or somewhere. So everything uh, really kind of uh, logistics is a commodity for, for the current uh, kind of essential everyday operations for, for human. And uh, the, the reason why that uh, um, I'm uh, too simple is laser focused on truck is that uh, uh, maybe just one number throughout there. Uh, the, um, I think the whole United States and United States alone 
is experiencing a extreme uh, lack of labor or lack of truck drivers right now. So uh, the, I'm not sure about the exact numbers, but uh, uh, last year where we're looking at, um, I think at least uh, 50,000 uh, lack of truck drivers, especially for those drivers that are willing to take on the night shifts. Uh, so really, I think the uh, Tom's driving technology here is trying to fill that gap um, instead of uh, kind of doing a lot of kind of uh, where we're just taking over the jobs and everything. It's, it's really about filling that gap because the whole economy, the whole daily operations are heavily involved with logistics every day. So uh, I have I have a real estate guy uh, friends uh, that I was talking with them uh, the other day. I was like, "Hey, the, I know the lumber is pretty expensive right now, but but you know when when all the supply comes up, then why 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 are still still where we're seeing those very high price for all those kind of new constructions, um, even though we were foreseeing that lumber to to be sort of a, a, a going to a smooth price drop." Uh, in the future, and his answer was, "Okay, this is not just about the price for that lumber. This is about the price for the logistics, for the transportation to ship that lumber to us." And that's whenever that went up, that that would never go down, basically. So that's how severe we're seeing that this gap of the the, the labor shortage for especially the truck uh, industry logistics is having a lot of experience to or it, a, a very heavy impact. To, to our daily life. Uh, that's that's sort of one, even one of the reasons why you're seeing a boost of the, the price for the new constructions right now. So um, I think really um, I'm, I'm, I'm giving a, a, a lot of hope and I'm very passionate about autonomous driving, um, especially for truck as well. This is because I'm seeing that huge gap uh, and I'm, I'm seeing that how essential and how important that logistics industry is going to impact everybody's life. So I think really uh, Tom Shriving has given access to everybody with uh, a, a cheaper uh, a mobility, a cheaper logistics, a cheaper everything, uh, because this is just where we're providing that commodity to this whole economics. So, yeah, well, that's that's how I think um, Tom, Shri- Tom Shriving. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. And and as we look at uh, the role of infrastructure and intelligent roads, Jamie, do you want to? Give us your thoughts and, and tell us a little bit about what you've been doing at Cavenue and how you're how you're thinking about those uh, them playing a role in advancing autonomy. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think as I've spent you know almost a decade working on trying to make level four and level five autonomous vehicles happen, um, I've really come to realize how many corner cases there are. It's just such a long tail problem. Um, You know, very famously at Waymo, we saw um, a woman in a wheelchair chasing a duck with a broom. And like, how do you train a robot uh, to deal with that kind of situation? And there's hundreds of those that you see as you drive millions and millions of miles. It's crazy. Um, And so at Cavnu, what we do is we work to make the driving environment smarter and simpler so that in partnership with the robotic vehicle, the autonomous vehicle, um, they can work and drive um, in a much simpler environment. 
So imagine if you had sensors that go all the way down the road corridor that can see miles ahead of you and tell you everything that's going on in the roadway so that you don't have to try to see it through your perception system. You've got a roadway that's telling you um, what's up ahead so that you can adjust your driving behavior and start looking out for those different events and issues. Um, we do things like that. We connect the signals in so that the autonomous vehicle doesn't have to be able to read um, if the traffic light is red or yellow or green. Uh, because what you may not know or you may know is that at low sun angle, um, even humans have a really hard time reading that light, right? And what we do is we kind of bob and we move our head around to be able to see what color the light is. The robot can't do that because the cameras are all fixed. And so it's a really hard way um, for the robot to try to tell what the traffic light is. So just simple things like that, where you can connect the infrastructure to know what the signals are, what the rules of the road are, um, where the lane markings are, what's going on in the road up ahead, um, allows that vehicle, um, that autonomous vehicle, to just have a simpler driving environment. Um, and it turns out when you simplify it for the autonomous vehicles, you also simplify it for the human driven vehicles like probably all of us have today. Um, so there's a benefit that happens for everybody today. Um, and then for the autonomous vehicles, I think what you'll start to see is that um, the market penetration can go up much, much faster um, and get this important technology into the hands of consumers quicker um, and they can operate at a much larger scale. So you can imagine um, if we could connect, for example, I-10, which goes all the way from Florida to LA, um, then all of a sudden you've got a trucking corridor that has been simplified where you can then um, run autonomous trucks, which is great, autonomous cars for all those road trips where you're trying to go to Palm Springs or wherever you're trying to go, um, and it helps the human drivers because as they're doing those long routes as well, um, they're getting a simpler and safer environment to drive in. Um, so that's the world that we're building at Cavenu, Um, and we're building it right now um, in three different states um, and then scaling over time. And, and do, you see, uh, do you see some corridors or some states moving faster than others? I think that's always true. Um, and, and some of it's based on, you know, how, how much they've already invested um, in smart infrastructure so they know the benefits that can be there. Um, and some of it's around just how much, how much funding they have, um, how, how willing they are to partner um, at, this, at this point um, in where they're at. Um, I think you know, right now we tend to find that states are all asking us to come and talk to them and, and, you know, help them understand the benefits and help them understand, you know, where we could deploy first, um, which is great. Um, Utah is a great example of a state that's, you know, very um, advanced in how they think about technology and deploying technology on their roads. Um, and so, you know, they're an interesting place uh, for us you know, but right now we're focused in Michigan um, and Maryland and Virginia. Fantastic, really fantastic. And Heinrich, when you when you think about how businesses are adopting these technologies and commercializing them across different fleets or across infrastructure, or other how do you kind of see this evolving? Well, 
so I think it's sort of the uh, the hidden wave, if I had to say. So because there's so for autonomous vehicles, there's so much focus on level four, level three, or level two autonomy in regular vehicles. This is not where the action is. You know, so it's a very uninformed view, and it's sort of like this is probably the last place we will actually get autonomous cars. So I feel it's very important for us to sort of think about all of the others. So, so, so to me, we sort of have a continuum from really small vehicles to really large vehicles, and and right now all of the focus is in the middle. And I will actually claim the action is at the ends. So, and, and so, so we're seeing. Uh, companies that are doing micro-autonomous vehicles for for last mile deliveries, mainly in suburbs. Uh, so, so we're seeing this for so Amazon by now has more than sixty thousand vehicles deployed that actually do sort of last mile deliveries. We're seeing Neuro doing pizza deliveries. We're seeing all of these different that are sort of coming out, and they're mainly doing it in suburban environments because there's not a lot of people. We've tried to sort of deliver autonomous driving vehicles on the UCSD campus where we have 65,000 people every day. You know, it's just, it's a disaster to do this. So we need to test this in places where we can actually do this. And we are seeing this and given the growth that we're seeing in e-commerce, this is gonna become bigger. We're gonna see UPS, FedEx, DHL, uh, Walmart, Amazon, all of these are gonna do it. Um, so that's sort of one end of the spectrum. And then we're seeing the other end of the spectrum, which is what Too Simple and others are working on, which is the trucking. And I'm going to apologize to Too Simple ahead of time. I'm going to say trucking is that simple. You're driving on a one-dimensional problem from the start to the destination on an interstate. That's comparatively simple. Whereas, you know, if I go to campus where I have people walking all over the place, it's like, well, that's hard. So, but the good news is with these simpler problem, it's not simple, but simpler problem, this is where we will start to see the adoption. This is where we will gonna get it. This is where we're gonna get our mileage. This is where we're gonna get our experience out of it. And at the same time, driving coast to coast, like like Jamie was saying, or I-10, we can now suddenly extend the range of the drivers to be able to do this so it's much more efficient. So the business case makes sense. Uh, and so, so, so I think we will see the trucking, the all of that, and we will see the micro mobility, we will see the scooters, and things like that. And, and this is where the, the risk is comparatively much smaller. So because of this, we, we will see this. Uh, and, and then I, I think uh, at the same time, I think we will see a paradigm shift in the sense that right now, a lot of the investments are it's Toyota, it's GM, it's uh, Tesla. In robotics, we also saw this when 60 years ago, GM and GE had big robotics divisions. And then they realized this is not core business. I don't think autonomy is core business for a lot of these companies. So the question is, who is the Bosch of cars that's going to come up and build autonomy? And in some sense, it's going to be, you know, it, it, I think it's how do we get from systems providers to component providers? So we will see Kavanaugh, like, like Jamie is working for, provide some intelligent infrastructure for this. We will see companies like Too Simple provide autonomy. They're not a truck provider, they're an autonomy provider. So I think we will gradually see a paradigm shift away from this where everybody builds their own system. And that's also the only way we can get sort of an economy of scale. I don't want to have to, you know, I can just imagine 
Jamie trying to build infrastructure and Toyota says, well, for us, I want to flip bit number eight because that's really important. And then GM comes along and said, no, no, it's bit number seven. I'm like, ah. So for that reason, we will, we will have to do some standardization. We will see a new component business coming up and that will change the price. And once we change the price and we get enough miles, that's when we're going to go for the regular sort of cars for people. But, but I think it's going to take a significant amount of time and we will start where it's not critical people. Because even for micromobility, if I have to stop and sort of rotate and say, what did I just see? Or did I have, like Jamie was talking about, if I have to bob my head to actually figure out how do I get to that house. For package delivery, that's perfectly acceptable. If you have a person in the car, they're going to be freaking out and say, what just happened to me? So for that reason, we will start at the ends and then we'll slowly move in. And so, but at the same time, we're pre-paradigmatic and it's not going to be soon. I still think it's five to 10 years out before we're really going to see sort of the major uptake. And do you see kind of campuses and other kind of, call it kind of corporate campuses, university campuses, do you see those kind of as complex problems where people would solve first or, or ones they would, would you you'd kind of stick to roads and stick to, to call it kind of public area? Sure. So, so I, so I think we will see uh, geofenced areas uh, where, like you know, we're doing experiments on the Miramar airbase. There's a fence around it. I don't have to worry about it. The same time, you know, I have a different police authority. I don't have to worry about, you know, the state of California. I just have to worry about is the is the Navy happy? It's geofenced. The same thing in theory we can do, you know, on the UCSD campus. I have to go and talk to the police chief at UCSD. I don't have to sort of worry about a number of these things. So we can cut certain corners to make it accessible. We can install infrastructure like Jamie's working on on campus and actually do sort of enough tests. I don't have to make the assumption, can I cover all of San Diego? It's too hard. We have to start somewhere where, where we can sort of do this at a reasonable distance. So, so, so I think we will see this. We will see this for, we've talked to the airport here. What if I could do transportation to and from just in the parking lot? Not, we will never leave the parking lot, but just doing all of this today, there's a guy sitting there and, you know, 50 minutes, an hour, he's doing nothing. He's just saying, please take my golf cart. We can automate this. So I, so I think we will see these geofence, the area, it will make it much easier for us to do testing, get enough statistics that we can then do a much broader infrastructure. But, but it, it has to start in those places. So we're seeing... UCSC is thinking about this. We have, as I said, 65,000 people coming to campus every day. We have 700,000 people doing hospital visits every year. And if you now think about it, we soon have a trolley that will have two stops on campus. They are not within a mile of the hospital. So if you just had surgery and you have to go back for a second check and you take the trolley, then you're going to be left sort of, how do I get the last mile? Uh, and right now we will probably end up putting in some golf carts. This is obvious places where we will start to see these micro mobility systems in a relatively constrained environment. So I think there's lots of use cases for doing this that will that will get us close enough that we will slowly have enough confidence that we can do this in a non-constrained environment. Oh, really, really wonderful. Thank you. And and uh, what you were saying earlier, Chan, about about uh, kind of trucks and supply chains and logistics being kind of limited by the drivers. So in all the analysis we do, we really see that 
the latent demand for trucking is is limited by drivers. There's probably twice as much demand as there are available trucks and drivers. Um, Can you tell us more about how you see the future of autonomous trucking kind of impacting supply chains? And recently, I think you guys announced you're going to be traveling the whole length of I-10 and even I-35, I think. So we'd love to hear more and tell tell us your views there. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Jono. Um, so um, I think this is really relates with our business model as well. So um, just let me maybe explain what is Two Simple's business model before I jump into the, my opinion. Uh, so you can definitely, well, basically uh, we are building a train and you can see Two Simple's truck um, as a train uh, uh, network. The, the reason why I'm saying that is uh, uh, our final product uh, is what we so-called as AFM, Autonomous Freight Network. So what we're trying to build is that we're trying to set up all those um, different distribution centers, uh, but you can, you can see them as a train station. And what we're doing is that uh, uh, for level four autonomous driving, we are only operating with a limited ODD. Uh, where we pick those, just like you mentioned, uh, I-10 and I-8, those major highways. We pick those major highways, and usually they are busy. Uh, they have very high volume with the current truck um, uh, uh, logistics. So we pick those uh, routes, and we set up, as in the middle, um, at just, just like a, a train station where we are doing all the calibration, pre-check of the truck, and then trying to make sure the configuration files are right on the truck and everything like that. So uh, what we're trying to develop is that a Too Simple is providing that autonomy on that routes, on that network that we are picking and we're pre-selecting. So uh, currently, we're already expanding from um, Phoenix all the way to to Texas Triangle. Uh, That was already covered. And um, I think just from our timeline, within the end of this year, we are trying to um, expanding to Florida. So it's really very close to sort of a coast-to-coast network that we're trying to build where we cover all the major highways. So uh, with, with that, and probably you can already imagine and foresee that uh, really the impact that, that, that this whole um, autonomy is going to bring to the whole supply chain or logistic um, industry is more like we are, we are smoothing out a lot of frictions there. Um, just like I said, uh, uh, the, sometimes you already have the cargo, the, the goods are already there. But you don't have, let's say, you have a, a shortage of drivers, or uh, let's say you have you have some um, other issues that kind kind of cause a delay or that frictions uh, for this whole logistics that you're trying to do. And uh, what what we are given is that we are setting up those kind of train like business models so that we are actually uh, smoothing out this this whole friction within the, the supply chain. Uh, so if you have shortage of driver, then yeah, we will, we're, we're filling that gap, right? Um, and if uh, well, human drivers, they have to follow, um, they have to follow those certain rules regarding you couldn't drive more than um, 11 hours. So basically every day you have just 11 hours quota or uh, budget for, for your driving. Uh, what if this is robots and probably it does not have that 11 driving um, hour limits. So where we can really kind of drive all over the night and um, robot does not have to rest or take any rest or, or something. 
And it does not follow that typical 11-hour budget. So this is where we're seeing that we're basically providing a framework or a network that is smoothing out a lot of frictions that are that are within this whole supply chain. And probably that that's how I see it. Um, it's 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 really about this whole easy access about autonomy that is giving you that uh, uh, that stability and certainty with all those supply chain. Uh, well, clearly you're, you're get get it much faster and much cheaper, but um, I think that's that's kind of sort of side effects or side benefits that you're getting that. Uh, but what what I think is the most important thing is that certainty. Uh, when when you have that estimated time, then you know that you're getting that goods because uh, robot is is more c- controllable um, than a, a lot of other factors. So. Matt, how, how, mm-hmm. tell us about, too, the trucking side of it, kind of the OEM side. Mm-hmm. You guys have announced mm-hmm. some, some pretty amazing partnerships with different OEMs. And mm-hmm. how do you see the technology layer kind of evolving, like Heinrich was pointing out, uh, where you kind of sure. have OEMs providing the trucks, but maybe autonomy companies you know, kind of like yep. Too Simple or like Aurora or others? Yes, yes. Um, I, I think just uh, uh, just like um, Henrik just mentioned, uh, well, this is more like uh, pre- previously we're only seeing that provider for for uh, for um, end users. They're seeing the, the the truck there. They're seeing the the car there. Uh, but however, right now it's um, I think the whole industry is shifting to a more modular uh, mode where. Uh, different parties, it's providing different services, it's providing different uh, modules to this whole uh, mobility industry. So uh, too simple, really, we are just a techn- technology where let's say we're just an autonomy provider that we're providing this whole framework of the software plus some sensors that, uh, that gives you that autonomous capability. However, um, our OEMs, there for sure, they are providing uh, the, the the OEMs stuff, and also right now, since we, we just uh, we, we actually announced a, a while ago that uh, Too Simple is officially partnered with Navistart to build our first uh, level four commercial ball uh, truck uh, that will be operating on the AFN that I just talked about. So really, they are providing that uh, truck to us. And we are providing uh, the, the solution that is compatible with that truck. So, which is why um, I, I think all the players, different providers and different game players in this field needs to work together. Uh, probably you couldn't imagine like how close we are uh, working with Navistart right now. Um, I think every week we're, ha- we're, we're, we're almost having two-hour two workshop was never start to talk about, hey, uh, I, I want to have the camera here. Uh, can you design the camera rack or, or something like that? So this is very still very close bounded because uh, this is a very like, highly customizable uh, product that we're trying to deliver. And well, fortunately, um, Navistar definitely understands that they're within, uh, they're, they're with us on the side. Is, is uh, Javier still on from Kenworth? <laughs> I'm sorry, what was the question? We need Javier from Kenworth to, to give you guys a call too. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, well, we, we, we were definitely open to a lot of um, OEMs and uh, tier ones. Uh, well, um, actually, well, we also uh, we have very close relationships with Peter Belt and all the other truck providers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm just trying to have the uh, put at the points where uh, 
this is a kind of sort of a new uh, industry where everyone needs to collaborate together, even though this is very modular. Um, I think in the future, definitely all the interface is very clear. But uh, uh, right now, I think it's, it needs a, a, some more efforts to work together, to understand each other. Uh, it, it's like a marriage between technology and our OEMs. Mm -hmm. Really great. Um, we had a few minutes left. Um, maybe in the last few minutes, you guys, maybe we'll do just a quick round robin and just talk about if there, if you guys see any kind of big challenges or, or kind of signposts that, that can tell us that we really see, see adoption taking a bigger turn, kind of more, more aggressive turn, or we think there's something that, that we're looking for in the marketplace. Maybe we'll start with Heinrich. Well, so so I think the big signpost is, you know, when are we going to get to where, you know, we I still think it's the two ends of, of the micromobility. Uh, but at the same time, I think we need more standardization. Once we get to some level of standardization, I think that's going to be very important. But I think the other one is to figure out how do I get, uh, how do I get the highway authorities and Department of Transportations to standardize these rules. Right now we have 50 different rules for, you know, 15 different things. I come from Europe. This is fundamentally nuts. So we need to figure out how do we make this? Because it can't be so that I have to flip a switch on my autonomy system when I change from one state to the next. This is a little bit crazy. So I think we will see the adoption when we get to a point where we have legal frameworks and technical frameworks that allows us to have much, much better interoperability. Thank you. Chen, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I feel like, well, just if because I'm right now I'm serving as the chief of staff to our CTO. So I think from just from the technology wise, um, I think we need to attract a lot more capable talents into this industry to help us build. So autonomous driving tech technology is not like uh, you have a uh, hundred uh, engineer and then boom, you're there. It's, it's more like you need to build up the whole system with a very, very high robustness to make sure the safety and everything. So we definitely need to track a lot of like those capable talents into this field. Um, I, I can tell you this, I, I think too simple is probably needs, needs to double the size of our employees, um, even though we already have so many. Uh, but uh, uh, as more we were de developing this product, the more we realize, okay, if you want to, if you want to have a, a higher standards for the product, you, you want to have those safety uh, protocols within this product, you actually need to kind of double, even triple the effort that, that we're putting in right now. So um, I think that talent is definitely going to be very, very important and, and critical to technology side um, as we're providing that autonomous check technology. Uh, but however, um, I think uh, uh, the, the, all the policies and uh, the, uh, let's say the whole ecosystem needs some effort as well. Uh, we don't have a standardized insurance uh, uh, contract yet for autonomous um, technology. <laughs> we, yeah, just, just like Eric mentioned about uh, right now, we have to put a lot of configuration files in our, in our system because each states, they're following different routes. Some states you can turn right uh, when you have a, 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 a red light, um, but you just pay attention to that intersection. But some states you're not allowed to. So uh, really all those like non-standardized policy and traffic rules. Yeah, right. We see 
we see those construction zones and uh even though the the, the i think the county or federal they have a, a the a guidance regarding hey how you should set up a construction zone but we see hundreds of thousands of corner cases when people are actually doing that construction zone so uh this is really something that uh, can help us straighten up the, the whole uh kind of technology step uh, where we're trying to kind of fulfill all those corner case, all those different use case, I think that will be very helpful. Yeah. Thank you. And Jamie, you want to take us uh, home here? Sure. Um, I, I think about, um, first, I think there's a disruption that's still needed in the industry. Um, and um, I think that we've focused a lot in this industry on the perception problem. How do I see everything in the world and how do I identify what it is and how do I predict what that actor is going to do in the future? Um, and I think machine learning has gotten us a really long way um, along that front. But I think we have not spent the time on the planning problem. Now that I know where everything is and now where I think I know where it's going to be in the future, how do I actually like navigate? Um, and I think there's a real disruption that has to happen yet in planning. Um, and there's a lot of debate in the industry, if that's a machine learning solution, if that's a hybrid solution, if that's a closed form solution, if that's improvements in computer vision, um, if it's all of it. Um, but I think that there's a major disruption there where I agree with John, like I think we need a lot of talent and creativity focused on that part of the problem. Um, another thing I think we need is we need standardization. Um, Heinrich and, and Sean both said this, um, but, you know, if we start just thinking about connected vehicle technology, which is a place where, like, if the infrastructure can talk to the car, we can do so many cool things, but there's so many standards on what the, what the, that communication protocol is, and everybody has their favorite one, and I, I really feel like, as an industry, we're going to have to decide to pick, or we're going to end up with, like, the home automation problem. Um, and what I mean by that is um, when you walk into your house and you want automated lights and automated locks and you want your, your dishwasher to be automated, they're all talking on different protocols. And to try to string all of that together and get it into your phone so that you can run your appliances and your lights and your locks um, is, is actually a really difficult problem because nobody's picked a standard. Um, and I think that the autonomous industry cannot suffer that problem. And so I think we're going to have to work very hard to figure out what's the best of what's available and, and work as an industry to try to get that standardized across every place. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is I think policymakers are really late to this dance. Um, they, they've highlighted, you know, Chong and Heinrich have both highlighted the problems in just the, the rules of the road as they are and how those change, not just from state to state, from city to city. Um, it's nuts, but there's also a, like, how do you certify that this vehicle is okay to deploy without a driver? Um, and I think that like, they're just so late to this dance and um, asking the autonomous industry to basically compete on safety is really a travesty. And that's where I think we are right now. Um, and, and none of us want to be in that boat. Um, and so I think working with the policymakers on 
how do we get standards for what it means to certify that this vehicle is ready to go out on the road without a human driver behind the wheel um, is a really important step um, and one that needs to be done in partnership with policymakers and the industry. Um, and I know that like everybody's working on it. I've been working on it for 10 years, <laughs> but <laughs> we just, I think that's a signpost when that happens. I think you're going to start to believe that, that uh, autonomy is around the corner. Thank you so much. And Heinrich, uh, you wanted to add well, one so final thought. I, I wanted, I, I just want to make Jamie's world even more complicated. Uh, so, so in the sense that we've only talked about vehicles here, I think one of the signposts will be when autonomous vehicles are integrated into logistics software. So, so we have vehicles. We're going to get the, the 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 vehicle scheduling, the the vehicle, the route management, the uh, the overall planning. Right now, we're building Lego bricks, but we barely started on the house. And I, I guess with that, I'll plug in that I mean. Here and I'll give a San Diego plug. Being a San Diego native and a and a UCSD alumni and all, we have one of the greatest um, kind of concentrations of autonomy in the world here in San Diego for drones, for aircraft, for cars, for uh, kind of any anything that moves, anything that goes around. There's a lot of talent here, and we're happy to see Too Simple here grow and be so successful. And we, we'd love to see every a lot of more companies and even Cavanaugh come here and be successful. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.